Easter's a pretty big deal <laughs> for Christians. It's a big thing, really big thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. As I was uh, looking at the story of Jesus um, coming out of the tomb and interacting with Mary, you know, uh, not his mom Mary, but his disciple Mary, uh, she was weeping even before she realized um, what was going on. And it made me think about the days following my father's passing. I spent a few hours organizing his workshop. Uh, it didn't really need organized. Um, and when, I, when my father was alive and I organized his workshop, he didn't always appreciate that because <laughs> it was his workshop. And the, the reality was I spent so much time alongside him working on whatever. And I think I just wanted to be in a place where he spent time. I wanted to touch things that he touched. And during those hours, just days after he passed, I found myself weeping numerous times. There, there was this something about that space that made me feel maybe close to him. And I suspect this is why Mary was uh, at the tomb on Sunday morning. We'll get back to that. I think, I think we probably need to back up just a little bit before we get to that moment and remember that Jesus was the most powerful person to have ever lived and ever will. He, he was in control of the world on a level that is unimaginable, really, from the molecular level. Uh, he could turn water into wine. He could manipulate biology and chemistry. He, he could control atmospheric conditions. He, he, he breathed life into dead things. He, he had the resources of heaven at his disposal. At any given time, he could have called down 10,000 angels to support and defend whatever it is he would be called to do. He, he could have amassed global power like has never been seen, and it would have been good. And instead, he died in relative obscurity. After having submitted himself to an entirely unjust and brutal execution. That execution made him very dead, really dead, not sort of dead. He wasn't just unconscious. He was dead. He was, he was, in, the, he was in that tomb for days. And the scriptures tell us that his, his soul was separated from that body. It, it went to be where all the dead go. You know, we're going to, uh, side note, we're going to confess uh, a creed later in the service. And in that creed, many of you maybe said this, where it says, Jesus descended into hell. This is essentially what's going on there. It is a declaration that he wasn't just unconscious. His soul was separated from his body. He was dead, utterly dead. And in that horrific condition for a couple days, and from that condition, he was sensationally vindicated. He escaped utter deadness. He, he was restored to a body and not brought back to life, but raised to a 
new kind of life, bodily nonetheless, but an immortal body. He, he passed through a doorway there that none had been previously given permission by God to pass. He was moved into a new reality with a physical body that would live forever. And in, in that state, he hung around another month or so. And then he visibly drifted away to where exactly, we don't know heaven, it was heaven, but what? To reunite, to reunite, to sit at the right hand of God the Father. He was reunited as part of the Godhead. This is a big deal. Jesus was terrifically impressive up to the point of his crucifixion. But the whole post-death extravaganza is way over the top. N.T. Wright calls the resurrection God's great amen to the life of Jesus. It's, it's, It's over the top. Like I said, Easter, it's a big deal. Very big deal, if it's true, (laughs) which Jesus' followers believe that it is. We believe that. And and it's the, the resurrection is just not one of the things that Christians believe. It is the core, central thing. One of the greatest minds, one of the smartest people, to understand and articulate Jesus And his message is the Apostle Paul. And he says, Christianity without the resurrection is, I'm paraphrasing, like a bad joke. If if you believe such a thing, you live according to such a thing, you say something, but it's not true, is pathetic, really. Here's Paul in the... Uh, translation we call the message, 1 Corinthians, near the end of the book. Face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, this is Paul, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. Everything you've spent your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. And he, he wraps it up this way. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, We're a pretty sorry lot. Easter is a big deal. It's central to the Christian faith. It is is essential to the Christian faith. But it's not just a concept. It's not just a wonderfully fantastical concept. The fullness of Easter is completed at a personal level. This is where we come back to Mary. What we see in this interaction with Jesus and Mary, in these very moments following the resurrection, so Jesus has just been raised to this new, wonderful life. And his first words, after just literally being resurrected, his first words as the resurrected son of God, are deeply and wonderfully personal. Listen to how John captures this in his gospel. 
right? Quick context. I think you already have it. Mary's showing up on Sunday morning. She's coming to be in this space to meet with this savior of hers. And she's crying. She's weeping and she's looking into the tomb and there's two angels in there. And they say, why are you crying? And they, he says, they've taken, they've taken my Lord away. I, and I don't know where they put him. And she turns around, and Jesus is standing there, but she doesn't recognize Jesus. And he asks her. Jesus asks her. She doesn't know who she is. Why are you crying? What it, who is it you're looking for? It's very personal. I, a philosopher named Pascal, many of you have probably heard of him, he famously said something in this vein. We all have a God-shaped hole in our heart. And Jesus is tending to that in Mary. Mary, why, why are, what are you feeling? Who, who are you looking for? What are you searching for? People, you and me, we've been created in the image of God. We are eternal. And we long for a personal connection with our creator, the one who made us. In part, it's the reason we're we're never fully satisfied. It's, it's, in part, it's, it's why the world doesn't quite make sense. It's, it's why it's so hard when you're a young adult to, to find yourself. It's, it's why we are perpetually in search of greater meaning and purpose. It's why we have a, a, this underlying sense of a lack of control, a lack of safety. We weren't created for this world. We were created for the eternal one. We were created to be connected with with God. And apart from that, we are lost. And Jesus is tending to that in Mary. He's saying to her, he's questioning, how are you? What are you looking for? The psalmist puts it this way. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Listen to the psalmist. When can I go and meet with God? We're built for that. Mary is at the tomb, and she wants to meet with God again, but he's gone. And then in a moment that she could have never imagined, Never expected. He's back. And we see him in touch with her. He moves to connect with Mary. He speaks with her. He probes her heart. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? He's just been resurrected to an immortal body that will live in eternity. He should have been rushing to the throne. He should have been rushing to lord it over those who knocked him down into the grave. But instead, at this critical moment in history, he's tending to Mary. We 
we don't find in this resurrected king a detached and impersonal being. We find one who stoops to the needs of a sing. He died for the sins of the world, and he's dealing with the singular person. I couldn't get hold of someone I needed to get hold of with regard to my phone bill for like two days. I was talking to all these minions that could do nothing for me. And I was like, can I talk to someone else? Can I talk to the next person up? I didn't have any thought in my mind that I would ever talk to the CEO of the company. And I didn't. of the universe, the creator of all things, is dealing with a single person at the biggest moment in his life. That is literally like the CEO of the company being named the, the, the CEO of this company, and while he's being installed during the ceremony, some assistant taps him and says, uh, could you take a customer call right now? And Jesus is like, absolutely. And he does. Easter, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. But it's a personal deal. How are you feeling, Mary? What are you searching for? It's personal. If Jesus were to show up in your life like that later this afternoon, Do you imagine what questions he would ask you? Can you imagine? What would he ask you? What's your instinct? What's the thing that you think Jesus would ask you? Uh, Imagine instead that he doesn't show up this afternoon. He shows up earlier this week at 3 o'clock at work. Uh, At bedtime uh, with the kids on Friday night. Saturday at 1 a.m. He shows up in your life. What are the questions he would ask? What do you imagine Jesus would ask you? We tend to go here. Questions like this is what we expect. Maybe this, maybe I'm just exposing my own self here. What are you doing? <laughs> I think he would ask. What's wrong with you? How could you? When are you going to straighten up? Why aren't you like him or her? Will you ever amount to anything? How can you be so disappointing? Why do you keep that up? How can you be so selfish? What were you thinking? Those are the questions that you can imagine. Is that what he would ask you? Is that what he would ask me? Nope. No. He would say, what are you feeling? How, how are you? Jesus is alive, and he is well, and he's asking you right now, how are you? Are you sad? So be it. Tell him. Are you glad? Tell him. He's asking. Are you angry? Tell him. Are you anxious? Tell him. You feel comforted? Tell him. Embarrassed? Tell him. You feel at peace? Just tell him. He's asking, how are you? 
And he's saying, do you know you can't find what you're looking for where you're looking for it? Where, where are you looking for it? Tell him. I'm trying to find it in my spouse, in my friend, in my boss, in my girlfriend, my boyfriend. I'm trying to find it in my kids. I'm trying to find it at work. I'm trying to find it in being a parent. He wants to know, where, where are you? you? You can't find it where you're looking, but where are you looking? The risen one is concerned about you in so many ways, personal ways. He asks questions only you can answer. And then he says something to you. He says something to Mary. He asks these questions, and then he says something. He speaks one word. One word he says to Mary. And it changes everything. He says this one word, and suddenly she recognizes him. Didn't recognize him. He says one word, and boom. Oh, I know who this is. You know what that word is? It's right here in John 20, 16. Jesus said, Mary. Mary, why are you crying? Who are you searching for? She's like, ah, they took the body. I don't know what's going on. And he goes, Mary. She's like, oh, it cuts right to the heart. He knows her name. This is him. I can tell by the way he said my name. This is Jesus. Not only does Jesus care about how you feel, care about where you're searching for stuff, he knows you. He knows you. The one through whom the world and everything in it was made and is sustained stoops to hold your face in his hands. He cares about how you're doing, where you're headed, and then he says your name. Mary, John, Christy, Brandy, Ahmed, Doug, Julie, Joe, Annette, Ocho Cinco, Ali Haji, Shaniqua, Snoop Dogg. He knows your name. Silliness aside, if you would. I'd like you to imagine a scenario. You can close your eyes if you'd like. You can just look down if you'd like. But I'd like you to imagine for a moment Jesus sitting in front of you. Imagine this. His eyes are looking into your eyes. It's comfortable. His smile is as encouraging and patient as you need it to be. His posture is calm and unassuming. Hold this image. Hold this image. He's there. And then imagine him saying, your name. Now, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Chris Teagreen taught me this. Is this moment that we just had together an escape from reality or an escape to it? You're thinking, this is just my imagination. It wasn't real. But consider this. When are you closer to reality? 
when you're holding a picture of Jesus' presence in your mind or when you're going about your day forgetting that he is with you and knows you, which is real. Never mind whether you get the details of his face right. You won't. That's not the point. The point is, when you picture Jesus with you, knowing your name, you're holding on to a biblical truth. And when you're busy and bogged down in the details of life without consciously thinking about him, you've forgotten what is true. Your imagination is more in touch with reality than your preoccupied mind is when you're imagining the presence of God and Jesus in front of you, caring about you and knowing your name. That is reality. That's Easter. He's with you. He knows you. He's interested in how you feel and what you're searching for. He's, he's ready to begin healing your heart, to forgive you, to be the pathway to your God-ordained meaning, purpose, and destination. And he knows your name. And at some point, he wants to hear from you. He asks you questions. He cares about you. He knows your name. And eventually... He's looking for something from you. Listen to what he says to the disciples when they're walking around the villages and preaching. He says, who do people say that I am? Some of, they, they, give me, they say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others, some, one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, what about you, disciples? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. Who do you say that I am? He doesn't presume that the, 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 the disciples actually know. He's been with them. He's been teaching. They're, they're even preaching with him. Who do you say that I am? He, he, he's looking for a response eventually. Easter is a big deal. It is a big deal. And it is a personal deal. I wonder if it is personal for you at this stage in your life. I wonder if it is today. There could be any number of reasons you might be here this morning celebrating Easter. But is it, is it personal? It, Vista may be your home and you like the people and the sorts of things we do together and that's why you're here. It's not all that connected to Jesus. You may have politely accepted an invitation but the whole thing isn't really for you. It's not personal. Maybe Easter is a family event that marks the beginning of spring. Maybe it's just a nod along with Christmas to like a divine being, whatever the probability of God may be, but it's not connected to Jesus. Maybe the Bible represents an ethic for you that you embrace and you recommit to that, but it's distinctly different from Jesus. If Jesus is alive and well and he cares about you and he speaks to you and knows your name and asks you who he is, if that's, if that's going on in your heart right now, would you consider answering him? Who do you say that he is? Would you consider that? Or would you at least decide to find out who he is. Maybe you don't know. 
frankly, that's what we're doing as a church. We don't know the fullness of Jesus. We understand conceptually. We understand some of the theology and, and what it means to have everlasting life because of him, to be forgiven. But we're still getting to know Jesus. We have not arrived. You want to make a commitment to find out who he is? We'd love for you to join us. Here's what we know. Easter's a big deal. It's a personal deal. And Jesus raised from the dead means the one thing that threatens to undo all of our hopes, death, is undone. And that God intends to redeem all things, including us. Our work, our play, our troubles, our joys, our ups, our downs, our loves, and our losses. The resurrection, new life, our new life in him redeems all things now, not just in the future. We're not just biding our time until it's our turn to cross over and get out of here. We've been brought from death to life already in Christ, and we're joining Jesus in bringing death things to life. And so we fix our hopes where they belong. And we respond to Jesus and we say, you're the Messiah, you're the King, you're the Lord, you are the Savior, and you're mine. Not in a possessive way, but in a connected way. The writer of Hebrews says, brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge. We're going to take a moment as a Jesus-embracing church to tell our minds to recall and to tell our mouth to speak the truth about Easter. Maybe you'd like to join us. Stand with me, if you will. We're going to to confess this confessional, this creed. Many of you have done it. It's the Apostles' Creed. like fourth century it's been recited by the catholic church ever since and by catholic you know it's lowercase c it's not uppercase c catholic meaning true universal complete full church of god all those in christ around the world catholic it's an it's an adjective all-inclusive a descriptor of all true Christians whose resurrected Jesus is at the center of all things now and forever. Maybe you would like to join us as a church confessing this big deal of Easter, this personal deal as Easter.